The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. There were some present who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered thus? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Lo, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Let it alone, sir, this year also, till I dig about it and put on manure. And if it bears fruit next year, well, good. But if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. So the first reading for today, it tells us of the encounter that Moses has with God when he meets him in the burning bush. And then it goes on to speak about God's desire as he desires to deliver and to save his people. And he wants to bring Moses into this work, this work of saving his people and delivering them from the oppression that they are under in Egypt. And then in the second reading today, St. Paul speaks about what happens is when the Lord delivers his people, that they are all, if you will, baptized into one nation, all baptized into God, and then they are all fed by God. They're all fed and nourished by Him. And so he is tying that to what we experience and what St. Paul experienced, which is to be baptized by Christ and to be step into His grace, but then also to be fed by Him, to be nourished by Christ with His grace, with His life, but most especially with Himself in the Blessed Sacrament, in Holy Communion, where we are nourished by God Himself. This great mystery of our deliverance from sin through baptism and to be restored to grace through the sacrament of confession when we need it, but then also to be nourished by God Himself. And so this is the mystery that the first readings are taking us into. And so when we come to the Gospel, we are using that as a lens then when we approach the Gospel for its interpretation. And so a lot of the uh, church fathers, they are commenting on this and they say that what the Lord is doing here is he's trying to get his disciples and those who are listening to him to shift their gaze, right? To shift their gaze from the problems outside to the problems inside. And so it's from the problems in other people's lives to the problems in their own life. An insufficiency in their own life, which is that they are not bearing the fruit that they should be bearing. Right? So every tree that is a fruit-bearing tree, it has a potential. It has a potency to bear fruit. And when it does not do that, it is not fulfilling its potential. It is not becoming perfect, perfectly what it is. 
an apple tree that does not bear apples, can we truly call it an apple tree, right? It's not achieving its final goal. It's not reaching its perfection. And so what do we have here in this scene that as it begins, it says there were some present, they were speaking to Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So at the time of Christ, there were many insurrections that would arise. And one of these was this group of Galileans. And they had been in the temple. But remember is that in Jerusalem at that point, Pilate's fortress, it overlooked the temple. It had been built above the temple so that it could look in and it could assess all of Jerusalem and all of the movements so that he could step in and control when it needed. And so what happens is that this group of Galileans who were offering their sacrifices in the temple at the high altar, Pilate had, because of their insurrection, sent his soldiers down to kill them. And so they had been killed in front of the high altar and their own blood had mingled with the blood that they were offering to God. And now one of the errors that creeps in when we consider the problem of evil and suffering is that it is a great mystery, but it is a mystery that needs to be dealt with delicately. You can tell when people do not deal with it delicately is when they look at evil and suffering and they project into God some type of cruelty or some type of evil. And that's not the way in which we can approach it. But another error that can creep in is that we can think that what people suffer is a result of their own personal sin. It might be a result of sin in general, but it might not be a result of their personal sin. And another error that can creep in is that the extent to which someone suffers is in some way a manifestation of the amount that they have sinned in their life. That's also a, false, a falsity that we cannot hold because we know that some of the greatest saints have suffered incredibly. It was not their own personal sin that brought their suffering upon them, but they have suffered. And their suffering is something that they united to God and that became salvific and it became redemptive and the Lord was able to transform their sufferings into something that becomes so powerful under his inspiration and under his grace. And so we cannot operate according to that thinking where we might look at someone who's suffering in hospital and think, well, that's the result of their sins and they deserve what they're getting. That's not the way in which we can approach it. But at that time, there were groups of people who thought in this way. And so when they saw the extent of the sufferings of these Galileans and the horror of their death, of all things, to be killed in the holy place, to be killed in the temple, they thought that their sins must have been particularly bad to merit such a particularly horrific death. And so what the Lord is doing is he's correcting that type of thinking. He doesn't deny that they might have been sinners because all of us are sinners. But he also does not affirm that their sin was proportionate, their, their suffering was proportionate to their personal sin. But he says to all of those who are listening, but unless you repent, so this is the time for repentance. This is the time of mercy. A time will come where we will no longer be able to repent. And that is the time of death after we have died. In this life is the moments where we can experience the mercy of God and be transformed by his grace. And so what the Lord is saying to his, those disciples and those who are listening is use the time of mercy while you are in the time of mercy. While we are alive and have the opportunities for conversion, this is what we should be doing. And so the Lord is telling them, look, don't shift about their false, shift from your false judgments about the extent to which other people might have sinned and look at your own self and consider your own personal sins, right? Our own personal sins are what we should be looking at. And those are not just sins that we might have committed, but also sins that we might have omitted, things we might not have done. 
the ways in which we might not have borne fruit, fruit that the Lord comes looking for in our life. And so that is what this shift is. There is this, he then tells, he follows on from what he says before with this parable. A man has a fig tree and he comes seeking fruit and finds none. And so he says, right, cut it down. It's just wasting the earth. It's taking up all the nutrients, but not for any good for anyone else, but only serving itself. But then the vine dresser, which represents Christ in his mercy, he comes and he makes a petition for the sinner. He makes a petition and he says, leave it alone, leave it alone. A great petition of mercy. And so what he does is he steps in between, if you will, a certain type of justice and he brings in his mercy, which is also a fulfillment of justice in a particular way. And he says, let it alone, sir, this year also. Give it more time. It might convert. It might bear fruit. And let me also assist it so that it's not left alone. Let me work with it. Let me dig the soil. Let me feed it. And so what that represents also is if you dig around a tree, it's so that you might aerate the soil, right? Allow air to move into it, allow nutrients to move ever deeper. And so that represents in a certain sense the baptism that we undergo, where the very air of God, the breath of God, is what enlivens us, what lives within us by His grace. And then also He feeds and nourishes with His own self. He nourishes us and gives us the strength that, that we might be able to do the things that He commands us to do. What is very beautiful, though, is if we consider the first reading and the reading for today. The burning bush is a beautiful image of, the, of Christ incarnate, the divine nature uniting itself to the, its, to the human nature and being united in the person of the Word. And so as that divine nature is also united to the human nature, it burns but does not consume. It does not destroy. It only invigorates. It only causes greater life, divine love. And that's what we are called to. We are call, called not just to bear fruit, but to catch fire, to burn with the love of God, to burn and not be consumed, to bear fruit in acts of love and charity, to become like God, to be filled with His love, and to bear that love in ourselves and allow that love to flow out and to feed and to nourish others with the fruits of our good actions. Amen.